and the speakers? Thank you, buddy. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Hi. Welcome back. That's great. If you've never been to a church with an intermission before, now you have. Uh, normally, we allow that space for our children and children's teachers to go down to their classrooms and get ready for their portion of the service. But in July, as you can see and hear and maybe feel if the back of your seat is being kicked, uh, we are keeping our kids in the sanctuary with us for this month, and we're excited about that. We think it's a very good thing for them to see worship modeled. We think it's good for them to hear and see the Word of God taught. We think it's really important for them to sing along with us as we worship God. So uh, if that's really super irritating to you, you can grit your teeth for four more Sundays, and then it won't happen again for a year. But I'm excited about it, and I'm glad our kids are here, and I hope all of you as parents know that you and your children are welcome, and they don't have to be perfectly quiet and perfectly still. That's not in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not. Your grandmother may have convinced you that it is. It's not in the Bible. Uh, and if your kids are loud or if they have a need or something happens, you're not going to bother me. So I just want everybody to be really relaxed and at peace today. I think we're going to enjoy our time together as we come to God's word. Um, I want to say a very special good morning and hello to the young men and young women, the kids in the room who are in fifth grade or younger. So just for me, for my sake, uh, if you are in fifth grade or younger, would you raise your hand over your head so I can see you? Fifth grade or younger? Fifth grade. Some of you are like, I don't know. Yeah, mom and dad can help you. That's good. Yeah, fifth grade or younger. If you're in fifth grade in your heart, you can do it too. It's okay. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you guys are here. Thank you. That's really good. Um, I want us to try something this morning that we've never done before, at least at this church. In a minute, not right now, but in a minute, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're in fifth grade or younger, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to actually answer out loud. But, but... I want you to whisper your answer. I was gonna have you scream it, but I don't know if your moms and dads would appreciate that. So I decided we're gonna go with a whisper, which is still fun and kind of different. I'm gonna ask you, not right now, but in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to whisper to me how old you are. Not your grade, but what your age is. So for instance, I'm 32. So if I was sitting out where you're sitting and someone said, hey, how old are you? I would whisper, 32. But I could do the loudest whisper that I know how to do, like 32. You know how you whisper to somebody, like, when their pants are unzipped and you need them to know right now but you don't want everybody else to hear, that kind of whisper. That's okay. It's a good whisper to do. We can do that whisper today. So I'm going to ask you your age and you're going to whisper it to me. And then there's a part two. Part two, I'm going to ask you what your favorite animal sounds like. Not what they are, not the name, but the noise they make. So if I was going to say cow, which is not my favorite animal, but if it was, don't judge me, I would say 32. And then I would go, which is a pretty good cow, right? I grew up in East Texas. Yeah, I've been around. Okay, so in a second, I'm gonna do that, and we're gonna do it for real. We're gonna do it together. If you don't know how old you are, this is your chance to ask mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whoever's here. I'm gonna say, how old are you? And all together, we're gonna whisper that number loud, and then I'm gonna say, and what does your favorite animal sound like? And you're gonna make that noise, not say the name. But if you say the name, it's okay. Are we ready to try this? Can you nod if this is going to be okay for us today? Yes. Okay. I'm seeing some heads. Good. Okay. So, kids, how old are you? That was good. That was good. And what sound does your favorite animal make? We have one wolf and some puppies. I hear some kitties. Maybe an alligator, some kind of bird screaming. Okay, good. Very, very good. That's excellent. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's good. Today, that's good. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good. I know. I asked for it. It's okay. Today, we're going to talk about something old, really old. 
And then you're thinking, oh, boring, right? Not really. Pretty cool, I think, but we'll get there. If you took every number that I just heard, you whispered your ages, I heard some fives, I heard some eights, I heard some tens, I think I heard at least one 11, maybe even a 12. If you took all of those ages and you crushed them together into one big number, we might get to like two or 300. I don't know. There's not a ton of us here today. Maybe 200. What we're going to talk about is way older than 200 years old. It's older than your parents, it's older than your grandparents, it's older than their grandparents, it's older than their grandparents, it's older than their grandparents, it's older than our country, which is about to have a birthday in a couple of days, it's older than electricity, it's older than cars, and most significantly in your life, if you are in fifth grade or younger, it's older than screen time. It's from the time before, the dark times. Yeah, you remember, Uh uh-huh, no glow in the back seat on six different little faces, right? Okay, we're going to talk about a book from the Bible. It's a collection of songs. Does anybody know the name? Shout it out if you know the name. Psalms, I heard in the back of the room. Very good job. That's exactly right. We are going to talk today about the Psalms, specifically the first Psalm. This is what we're going to do in July. We have five Sundays. The third Sunday, right in the middle, we're going to do baptism, so there will be no formal sermon. We'll just hear testimony. But this week and next week, and then again on the 23rd and again on the 30th, we're going to look at one Psalm each week. And we're going to do that like I am right now today for your expectations, grown-ups. I'm going to take into account that your kids are in the room with us. So I'm going to be a little more interactive than normal. Normally, you don't talk that much while I do. But today, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm going to ask you to answer to me. Here's the cool thing about Psalms. Psalms is 150 songs, so like the longest playlist probably that your parents have on their phone. Very, very big, very, very old, written by different people. But the songs are songs about life. Have any of you ever heard a song that's actually about real life? Anybody? Maybe. We're getting a few head nods. You're not sure. Yes. Okay. I see some hands up. Thank you. That's good. Anybody ever heard The Wheels on the Bus? Yes. All right. That's a song about life. Maybe you didn't know that, but the wheels on the bus do go round and round. It's the only way the bus works. It's physics. So that's a song about life. Have you heard of maybe the Baby Shark song? Anybody? Here, then here, then here. Yes. Okay. I worked at a summer camp when that broke onto the scene, and it was revolutionary for us. It was the only way to keep kids in line while they waited for their food at lunch. Baby Shark is a song about life. It's about grandpa sharks and grandma sharks and little sharks and big sharks. And there's a version with a guy who's swimming, and he gets his arm bit off. You guys may not know that version, but we sang it at camp. It was pretty fun. Um, Anybody think of any movies that have songs in them? Has anybody seen Lyle Lyle Crocodile? Anybody? That's a a favorite at our house. Did anybody see the new Mario movie when it came out? Yes. Very cool. There's a song in the Mario movie that Bowser sings about Princess Peach. Do you guys remember that one? That's a song about life. That's a song about Bowser wanting something that he definitely doesn't get in that movie. And this is what the Psalms are like. This very old book in your Bible made up of stuff that probably a lot of you haven't read very often. It's just songs about people talking about stuff that they want, that they hope for, that they're looking forward to, that they're afraid of. All of the feelings that you have show up in the book of Psalms. Some of them are about feeling really, really sad, um, like a a good Avril Lavigne or all-time low song, right, when we were in high school, my fellow millennials. Some of the Psalms are about bad things, changing into good. They're dramatic, like songs at the end of a musical, like Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera. Some of the Psalms are teaching us things, like the ABC song is designed to teach us how to say our ABCs. Some of the Psalms function that way. They teach us something that we didn't know before we read them. Or they just exist to celebrate a great day, like when we get together and we sing happy birthday. Even though most of us look like we don't mean it, we still sing it at every birthday party that we go to. Now I want to ask you another question. Have any of you ever heard of Jesus before? 
That's good. Your moms and dads are like, raise your hand. Raise your hand, right? You have to. Okay, good. Did you know that even though when we see cartoons of Jesus or drawings of Jesus or we read about him in the Bible, even though he's usually a grown-up in those stories, he was a kid. Did you know that? That all of the ages that you whispered to me, five and seven and nine and 11, that Jesus was each of those ages once. And one of the things he had to do at his house with his dad, Joseph, and his mom, Mary, is he had to memorize the whole book of Psalms, all of them. Now, maybe that sounds really tricky, but I bet if you got in the minivan today on the way home from church and your mom and dad put on your favorite playlist, you probably know most of the words to most of those songs. And that's the way that Jesus learned the songs as well. He sang them to memorize them. Now, does anybody have any idea off the top of your head how many words there are in the entire book of Psalms? All together, how many words? What do you think? Shout a number out. A thousand. I heard infinity, which is closer than a thousand, just to give you a hint. There are, I'll just tell you, there are 30,047 words in the book of Psalms. And Jesus memorized them. Can you imagine that? When I was in college, I had to memorize three chapters of the Bible, that's it, and I still made a C. I cannot imagine 150 chapters of the Bible by memory, immediately. The Psalms is actually the book that Jesus quotes the most when he teaches. He calls back to that knowledge, you could call it catechesis, if you know that fancy word. Maybe you come from a tradition where that's normal for children. But Jesus calls back to the way he was raised as a child and uses the language of the Psalms to teach his disciples a new way to follow God. He's able to do that because the Psalms are kind of secretly, actually, all about Jesus. All about the way that he lives, all about the need for him to die, all about life with God or life without God. Let me give you this fact, okay? The Psalms contain 30,000 words, that's a lot. Most people can talk, that's part of my job, I talk for a living sometimes too long, but most people can say about 100 words a minute in a normal conversation speed. A little bit slower if you're somebody like me who needs to be understood well. If you were to stand up here on this stage right now, if I were to call on one of you and come up here and say, I want you to read all 30,047 words, do you know how long it would take you to do that? Anybody have a guess? It would take you 50 hours. There are 24 hours in a day, so it would take you more than two full days with no breaks, without going to the bathroom, without eating a snack, to just stand here and say every single psalm back to back to back to back to back to back. Now, 50 hours, if you're in second grade or younger, might as well be eternity. At least that's the way it works in our house. So let me give you another reference point here. Let me ask you guys, have any of you ever watched a show on Disney called Bluey? Anybody know about, yes, okay, got your attention, didn't I? Uh-huh, we like Bluey at our house, yeah. Uh, sometimes we just let it play, even if there's no kids in the room. It's just kind of a nice, peaceful, encouraging, aspirational. Bingo, Bluey's dad is like the, the hero of all dads. I don't know what they do for money in that house, but that dog just plays with his kids all day. That's all he does, all the time. And then my daughter's like, why aren't you more like him? And then we change the channel to another show that makes dads seem like they're good dads. Anyway. One episode of Bluey is seven minutes long. Okay, each one. They're all exactly the same length. That's, they did a really good job with that. There are three seasons of Bluey at 52 episodes per season, except the third season only has 50. So 154 episodes of Bluey, and some of you have probably seen all of them like 600 times. 154 episodes of Bluey at seven minutes each means that watching every episode of Bluey would take you right at 18 hours to do. 
Okay, so we have 50 hours to say the whole book of Psalms, and then as a reference point to watch every episode of Bluey they've ever made all the way through is only 18 hours. If you were to try to memorize the entire book of Psalms and to recite it, if Jesus, if nine-year-old Jesus was standing right here and he recited the Psalms back to us, you and I could sit down and we could watch Bluey three times through before Jesus was done with the book of Psalms. Can you imagine having to memorize something that's that long? That's crazy. I mean, it, this, this was his soundtrack to his growing up. The soundtrack for my growing up was my dad's 1980s rock favorites, right? It was Boston and Guns N' Roses and ACDC. But for Jesus, it was the Psalms. This is what they would hammer away at their carpentry work. This is what he would hum under his breath as he skipped rocks across the Jordan River or the Sea of Galilee. This was his world. And what I want you to understand is, as we work our way through the book of Psalms, even though these songs are going to sound old, and they're not going to sound like they have much to do with you, these are some of the oldest songs that people have ever written that are all about life with God. That's the big point. The big point is that God loves people. And when people in history figure that out for the first time, when they realize God isn't just an idea, God isn't just like a big angry mean principal or an angry grandpa or dad who just wants to ruin our fun, but God is actually a loving person who wants to know us and has a plan for our life. When people find that out, they want to sing. They want to get that out of their soul and onto paper, and so they write songs. It's still true today, and it was true in Jesus' day, and it was true thousands of years before Jesus was born when these psalms were written. So here's what I want to do. I want to read Psalm number one today, and I'm going to ask you guys to do something that we don't normally do here. If you're able, it's only three slides. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to read along with me and to say this psalm out loud. I think we can do it. I'll go slow enough that you can keep up with me. This is the New English translation. It's a little easier to understand than the ESV, so we went with it today. This is it. On the count of three, we're going to try to read it. If you can help me, it would be awesome. One, two, three. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying Yahweh's commands. He meditates on Yahweh's commands day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. Not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like dead leaves in the wind. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join the assembly of the godly. Certainly, the Lord guards the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked ends in destruction. Good job. Very good, very good. I appreciate you doing that with me. I want us to talk about this psalm. I want us to take about another 10 minutes and talk about what in the world is going on because that didn't sound like a song to me. You guys did good, but there wasn't music, there wasn't rhyming, there wasn't too much rhythm. There was enough. We hung in together, okay, but it didn't feel like a song. It felt like a recitation. It felt almost like a prayer. It felt almost like I don't know what it means, especially if I'm in fifth grade or younger, 
And so it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And hopefully reading it together helps it come alive a little bit more. But I want to try to break this into three quick pieces because I think that that's how this is structured. Psalm number one is, in my opinion, the best place to start, not just because it's chronologically first in the book of Psalms, but because it's an example. It's a gateway. It invites you into the way that the Psalms function, and it presents you with a truth. I think of Psalm number one like this. Has anybody in the room ever listened to Dan Tominski or Alison Krauss? Have any blue Krauss? Okay. What about Johnny Cash? Can I get a Johnny Cash hand and raise the Okay. So you guys are familiar with these kind of folk ballads, song structures. That's what Psalm one is. Psalm 1 is not trying to tell you to do anything. If you read it, it doesn't actually have any commands at all. It doesn't say do this. It doesn't say do that. It doesn't warn you away from something. It doesn't guide you towards something. It presents you with a truth. It is like a folk song or a folk story in the sense that it's designed to simply communicate this is the way it is. And then you do with that what you feel like you need to do. You want to follow the way of the wicked? Okay, the psalm tells you where that will take you. You want to go with God in life? Great. Then the psalm explains to you what you can expect from a life lived with God. But it's not actually pushing you. It's not like Jesus teaching where it tells a story to get you to grasp a new idea and maybe break down a bad habit or a bad thought process that you had. It's also not like other parts of the Old Testament that say very explicitly, do this on this day of the week and go here and don't go there. It simply presents you with the idea that you have a choice. So here's the structure that I want to follow today with you. There are basically three quick parts, and we're going to go fast through this. Part one of Psalm 1 presents the two ways, the two ways to live. Part two of Psalm number one sketches out those two ways for us. It gives us just a quick kind of pencil drawing on the back of a napkin so that we can grasp what it is that the psalmist is talking about. And then finally, Psalm number one gives us the two ends. Where do those ways lead? Where do they take you? Any path you walk on has a destination. It eventually brings you to the summit of a mountain or into the parking lot your car was supposed to get to or back into the driveway of your own house. Anywhere that you travel, you're headed somewhere. And so we ought not lie to ourselves that our lives are any different. And the psalmist is trying to explain that to us. So let's look at the two ways. I have a question for you. Kids in the room, what if tomorrow morning when you wake up, your mom or your dad or your guardian, whoever you live with, calls you into the living room. You're still in your PJs, you haven't changed yet, you haven't had breakfast, and they sit you down on the couch and they say, you have the next 20 years of your life, which is more time than you can comprehend, but you have 20 years from today to come up with $1 million cash. Ready? Go! What do you do? And they say, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can invest, you can work hard, you can be honest, you can approach this any way you want to, but I need to know that by the end of the next 20 years from now, when you're 28 or 31 or whatever, that you will be a millionaire. It's important to your mother and I that you be a millionaire, right? No pressure. What do you do? Does anybody have an idea? Like, actually, raise your hand and tell me, how in the world would you get a million dollars 20 years from now? In the very back, go ahead. You try helping people who need it. That's good. Yeah, very good. Emma? Compete on a game show, okay, right? Yes. Hey, it works for some people. Wait till the taxes kick in, sister. It may be less than you thought. Anybody else have any ideas? How, do you, how are you going to get your hands on a million dollars? Yes. You could sing your songs outside. I would love if that was true. That's a beautiful idea. It is, it is. I wish that was the way that the world worked. Let me tell you that all of your ideas so far are good. And all of your ideas so far have to do with doing something good that people would like and then getting paid for it. But I'm going to be really honest with you. Probably the fastest way to get a million dollars would be to rob a bank, right? 
It wouldn't take 20 years. I mean, if you had 20 years, you could spend 19 years making a really good plan. And then, you know, year 20. I'm just saying, there's two ways to do it. That's the point I'm trying to make. There's an objective in life. And we can talk to each other like the only way we're going to get there is by doing the right thing. But if we're honest, when we run out of time, when we get uncomfortable, when we start to feel nervous, there's another way that we feel tempted to go that would shortcut the process to get us to the thing that we think we need. This psalm that was written a thousand years before Jesus was even born is about that kind of question. If you want to have a certain kind of life, maybe it's not a million dollars, maybe it's just good relationships. Maybe it's not a million dollars cash, maybe it's a successful career or it's a chance to just be healthy and be free, to play your songs outside and people pay you. That's the life you're looking for. Then, yeah, there's a way to go that gets you there that's honest and good and right, but there's a way that gets you there faster maybe, that maybe feels more fun for a little while, that's tempting to believe, that lets you hide the parts of yourself that are damaged or broken, and that's the other way. And all this psalm is telling us is that that's the way the life, that world works. We can smile, we can laugh, we can act like everybody in this room only ever does everything the right way, but the psalmist is shaking his head and going, uh-uh, I've seen to the heart of man. I know what people are like. And you will be tempted to go another way. And what I want to do is show you where that way will lead you. So even though, right, maybe it seems like there's a lot of ways to, to solve that problem, to answer that question, to get a million dollars, there's really only two ways. There's a way that's honest, a way that's good, a way that gives, and there's a way that's wrong, a way that's dishonest, a way that takes and steals and uses and abuses. Psalm 1 teaches us that these are the two ways. Next, in verses 3 and 4, we see a sketch of those two ways. Can anybody look at their Bible really quick for me, Psalm 1, verse 3, verse 4, and tell me what picture, I know it's not drawn in your Bible unless you have a Bible somebody already drew in, but what picture is the psalmist using to talk about the two ways of life? What's the object? What's the thing that he's kind of using as an example? Does anybody know? A tree, and not just the whole tree, but he specifically talks about the leaves of the tree. In verse 3, he says the leaves of the tree never fall off. In verse 4, we translate that as chaff blown in the wind, but another way to translate that is dead leaves blowing through the wind as they've been used up and chewed up and burned up in the sun. The psalmist wants us to understand that living on our own without God is a type of sickness. It's a sickness that has effects. Just like when you get a cold, your nose runs, your eyes itch, your head hurts, you get a tummy ache, you might get unlimited screen time, which is cool, but that's the only cool part. Everything else is bad, and it feels bad. In the same way, our spirit, our soul can be sick and is sick, and eventually we reach a point where the leaves of our life fall off. People don't want to be around us anymore. We don't have choices we can make because we've damaged and hurt everybody who's close enough to want to help us through life. We don't like ourselves, we don't like each other, and we don't know where to go. Now, that doesn't happen to us automatically. What the Bible is saying is that's a consequence of the way that we live, the choices that we make. The other way to live is living with God. And the psalmist says that's like a tree planted in the perfect place for a tree. Maybe you have a tree like this. When I was a kid growing up, part of my job, my chores every week was to like weed the yard, mow the yard, do the weed eating. As I got older, I got more and more kind of piled on. And we had this old mulberry bush that was at the end of our driveway. It didn't even, I don't even know what a mulberry is. It never bore fruit in its life. It was just this miserable little knot of wood that we could not kill. We used, every, we used bleach. We tried to burn it with fire. We tried to rip it out of the ground by chaining it to the tailgate of a truck. I told you I grew up in East Texas, okay? We did whatever we had to to try to kill this thing. And it would come back every year. The root, somehow one root would go down far enough that that thing would come back and it would be my job all summer long to hack and cut and try to kill it 
and take care of it. Something about where that thing was planted was perfect for it. It couldn't actually be killed, though we tried as hard as we could. And this song tells us that life is like that. That if our life is plugged into God, we're not a ratty mulberry bush that doesn't bear fruit. We're a good thing. Christians are a good thing in society and culture. But that if we live with God, if we go with God, it doesn't matter how we're attacked. If people pour bleach on us or try to burn us or chain us to a tailgate and pull us out of the ground, analogy there, not literally, that, that spiritually we'll live. We'll be okay. We'll bear fruit. Our leaves won't fall off and we'll be fine. So let me give you just a place to grab on. Can somebody tell me who this is? The Lorax. What does the Lorax do? He speaks for the trees. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. Have you guys read the book? Dr. Seuss is one of our favorites at bedtime in our house. We have the, the Sleepy Time book. Do you guys have that one where they yawn through the whole book? One of our favorite running jokes is if we yawn in our house, Andy will yawn. She can be in another room and we'll hear her yawn from like upstairs. We'll yawn downstairs and we just hear her go, ooh. So sometimes Liz and I just, without telling her, we just kind of hang around in whatever room she's in and we just yawn. We fake yawn to make her yawn until she realizes what's going on. It's a lot of fun for us. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you all wish you were married to me, don't you? I know. Lucky Andy, lucky Andy. The Lorax speaks for the trees. At the beginning of this movie, at the beginning of the book, are the trees alive or are they dead? They're alive and they're great, right? There are fish in the pond. There are these monkey things that live in the trees. There's other stuff. There's this whole ecosystem that's thriving. And then these people come in, the onceler, right? And he wants to make sweaters or whatever that thing's called that he makes and he uses the threads from the Lorax tree to do it. He comes in and he industrializes this space and it destroys what's beautiful. And it requires the Lorax to step up and say, you can't do this. You're going to break this whole system down. These trees are valuable. These plants are valuable. It's kind of an, like an environmental movie if you think about it long enough. But it's also cool and it rhymes and it's fun to read to your kids. But there's a point in the story where the onceler decides it doesn't matter what happens to these trees. As long as he can get what he wants, he will destroy anything in his way. And here's what I want you to understand. That's what this psalm is telling us is true about everybody. When we reach a point, kids, where we decide we're going to get what we want no matter what, no rules, nobody else matters, it's all about us, we will devastate everything around us. We will turn beautiful, thriving forests of other people and civilizations and societies and groups and communities, we will cut them to the ground in the name of getting what we want. So maybe next time you read Psalm 1, you'll think about the Lorax. All right, let's land the plane. There's an end. There's an end. These two paths take you somewhere, verses 5 and 6, and very simply... Living without God will take you to a place where you will be judged, you'll be weighed, you'll be measured, your life will be held up against a good life, and God will decide, did you do a good job or not? And that at that point, everybody will realize that living a life without God is a life that takes. It's a life that breaks. It's a life that hurts and uses others. Whereas life with God ends with even more life. That's the cool part. Life with God is forever life. Life into eternity that never ends. A life that the psalmist says is guarded and protected by God. And that means this, that God shows us mercy through Jesus. Every psalm is about Jesus, including this one. Jesus is the guardian of the life of the people who live their life with God. He is, in a way, like the Lorax. Now, he's stronger than the Lorax because he can't lose to the onceler. But he speaks for the trees, you and I. He stands guard. He stands out and says, these trees are good. They have life. They're alive. They're worthwhile. And nothing gets through him to get to us if we live our life with God. He doesn't just protect us from bad things that come into our lives. He protects us from our own badness that's inside of us. He solves that problem. He even protects us sometimes from the consequences of our actions. 
So the psalmist wants you to know this. It's good and right to want to live life with God, but true life with God only comes through Jesus. It's in Jesus that we can be the kind of trees that live forever and that bear fruit in season. In Jesus, we can become the kind of people who don't just do what God says, but who love to do what God says. And that's the key. That's the thing that makes us Christians. So let's ask Jesus to do that. Parents, grandparents, those who have no kids but are in the room, let's say a prayer right now over our children that Jesus would call them to himself, that he would save them, that he would grow them, and that he would guard them for all of their days. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to gather this morning. I pray now as we wrap up our time in worship with another song that we would sing praise to you, acknowledging that you are who you say you are, that the psalmist got it right in Psalm 1, that there is a way to go that goes with you, God, and that that life is life eternal. It's a life that you guard and protect. It's a life that is all about you and what you do and who you are. So God, shape us in your image. Save our children from themselves. Save them from their own inner wickedness, God. Make them, to quote the prophet, like mighty oaks planted beside flowing streams, unshakable, unmovable. We love you and we trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.